Well, as some of you guys may know, I share a birthday with this holiday season. So Christmas Eve baby, I don't know if anyone else is that close to Christmas here, but I gave my parents a really hard time um, growing up about being a Christmas Eve baby. Like I never got a Christmas party, I just got to open a Christmas gift a day early, that was kind of my birthday present, Um, so I'd always joke with them. But I do remember one um, birthday when I was growing up, I know I've told this before from this stage, but if anyone hasn't heard it, remember growing up, my parents decided to throw me a birthday party, and because it was so close to Christmas, um, I remember at the church where my dad was a pastor, we had um, a Santa outfit, so he had he put on an outfit that made him look like Santa, I think we have a picture of it up here um, on the screen, you guys can see him there, makes a pretty good Santa, and he decided to stuff Um, Santa's toy bag with pillows and blankets and then he chased us around so I don't know if you've ever had a pillow fight with Santa but I have you guys pretty cool huh so I remember doing that at the birthday party everyone loved it and then I think we have a picture of me and all my friends um, somewhere in the night in the party yeah that we took a picture with Santa Claus there we're all together I'm kind of hiding in the back um, right by the Christmas tree because I wanted to be close to Santa And I remember my mom was just reminding me this week, uh, this is my friend Jonathan in the red shirt right there. And at some point in the night, he leans over and he's like, Aaron, why is Santa brown? And, you know, I was just in elementary school, so I tried to come up with some answer. I was like, I think brown Santas go to brown people's houses and white Santas go to white people's houses. Maybe that's how that works out. So that was my elementary um, explanation right there. But I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we look at the message today because we're in our second week of this series called It's Not What You Think. It's Not What You Think. And as we look at this, this Christmas season, Christmas at NCC, we're looking at this idea of this is a story probably most of us have heard hundreds of times. You've heard it in Christmas carols that are sung. You've seen kind of the story in Christmas movies. Maybe you've never even opened up the Bible But you may know parts of the story because of Christmas movies and Christmas cards and all of those things, how much this story is told. But what we're trying to do this Christmas season is approach it in a new way. And we're looking at how the Christmas story, how it unfolds. It was a surprise to people in the story. It was not what they thought it was going to be like or what they expected or what they imagined God sending Messiah would look like. It was totally different. And so as we look at how it was different to them, we're reflecting on what that means to us. And as we see how it's not what they were thinking and how sometimes it's not what we expect or it's not what we think, how does that change how we approach this holiday season? How does it change how we interact with others? And so we're going to look at this this morning. It's not what you think. This idea of the Christmas story and how it looks different. Now this week as I was researching this, and I mentioned this last week, that in order for us to understand this, we have to kind of understand the mindset and culturally what's happening during the time that Jesus was born. Okay, Because we live thousands of years later. So what was it like for these people in the Christmas story? And I tried to find all of these creative ways to say this or kind of bring this about, but I'm just going to say it. The people of God, the Jewish people during that time, they were racist. Bet you never thought you'd hear that in a Christmas message, did you? But really, like when you look at it, they had some serious struggles with diversity in the culture and in the time that they lived at. And 
here's kind of the reason why. They grew up with a lot of kind of national pride and with um, honor of who they were as a people. They understood they were God's chosen people. They could trace their lineage all the way back. So before there was ever Ancestry.com, I don't know if anyone's done that, or 23andMe or any of that stuff, like they already had it down, you guys. Like they knew how to do that. And if you've ever read some of the Hebrew scriptures, like you see this, they can talk about their great, 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 great grandparents all the way back. Like they knew all of this. And so there was this pride of God's chosen us. God called Abraham out. And they remembered part of what God said to Abraham. That Abraham, I'm calling you out from among your father's household. And you are going to be a chosen people. You are going to be a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. And then that's kind of where they stopped at. But that's not all that God said to them. God said, Abraham, through you, every nation will be blessed. But they had kind of forgotten that last part. And they just focused on that idea that we are a chosen people. God warned them that, hey, there are other cultures around you. There are other countries around you that worship false gods. And so they took warnings like that. Like in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 9 where it talks about Solomon, this wise king, who married, um, intermarried with other cultures and other people groups. And because of that, his heart was turned after other gods. And because of his love um, for these women. And so they kind of took that as a warning. Other people groups are bad. That's kind of what they thought. And they took other passages like Zechariah chapter 9 where it talks about how the Lord, Yahweh, will protect his people from these other nations. And they made it this rallying cry like, God has chosen us. We are special. We are Yahweh's chosen people. God will protect us. Um, Psalms like Psalms chapter 79 um, verse 1 where it says this, Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance they defiled your holy temple. They've reduced Jerusalem to rubble. And it was this mindset of, yes, everyone else around us is wicked and evil, and we are God's chosen people. And it's compounded because the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, that Messiah is born, the Roman Empire is living in the nation of Israel, and they are oppressing the people of Israel. So as we mentioned last week, there's this mindset that God, your deliverer, your salvation, will free us from all of these other nations, from Rome's oppression. And God, you will help us to be the great nation that we were once called to be. This is kind of the mindset that they have. And this is how they saw the world around them. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's not at all what they think or what they expect the story to be like. And so I want us to look at this, what's taking place, once again, looking at this story and understanding this. And this is the first thing that we see. It's God knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. God knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to some of these. I'm going to reference a number of scriptures. Or if you have the NCC Sermon app, you can open that up and um, follow along or write some of these down and reflect on them later. But just look at the Christmas story and how diverse and how different it is from what the people of God expected. We see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So right at the beginning, when Matthew writes the story of the story of Jesus, he starts with this. There were people from other nations and other countries that are a key part of this story of Messiah coming. This would have been totally weird to the people reading this, the people of God, the Jewish people at that time, because they didn't assume that Jesus came for anyone else. 
He was coming to redeem Israel. He was coming to make them a great nation, right? He was coming to restore them. And all of a sudden, Matthew says, wait, but it's really not about you. There are people from far off that are coming to worship him. Now, I started to think about this um, and kind of look at this. And I'm going to mess some of you guys up, but the wise men were not white, okay? I know that's what your nativity scenes look like, but they came from the east. And so I just wondered, like, is that possible? And so being the nerd that I am, I researched it. Yes, you can make a camel trip all the way from China to Jerusalem in the time frame that we see in the story laid out in the Gospels. Matter of fact, to get from Pakistan to Jerusalem would only probably take about eight months going really slow with a camel caravan. So it is physically possible to travel even at a slow speed and have a large group of camels get there, these wise men. So we're not told what country, what nation that they're from. We're only told that they came from the east. They came from somewhere far away and they came to worship Jesus. So when the first Jewish people started to read this, this would have been confusing. Like, this would have been pretty hard to understand. Why are they in the story? What part are they playing in this? But God knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. You look at this. He goes on in Matthew 2.14. Jesus didn't even grow up in the nation of Israel. He grows up as a young child and as a toddler in Egypt, in a totally different country. And so you see that right here in this story. But it's not only ethnically diverse, it's diverse in a lot of other ways. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1, Caesar Augustus, this Roman emperor, he's introduced into the story. And somehow he is a key part of this whole thing kind of getting kicked off of Joseph and Mary have to travel because this Roman emperor is playing a part in God's story of Messiah coming. We see Herod in the story in Matthew chapter 2. This king and then we're told that also in this story there are shepherds so you have the wealthiest the elite the bill gates right the elon musk of their society and then you have normal average working person and they're showing up at the story but not only is there this weird economic kind of big division that's happening there and they're all a part of this story together but have you ever thought about the age difference in key to the Christmas story are Mary and Joseph, which if we're understanding this right, Mary was betrothed to be married, which meant she was probably somewhere in her mid, some people say early, some people say late teenage years. Joseph, maybe not that far off from that same age range, being a young adult. And then also key to this story are this guy named Simeon and this woman named Anna, who is a prophetess, and they are well along in years. And all of a sudden, in this key story, we see all of this different kind of diversity. This isn't by accident, you guys. This isn't just like, well, okay, this is kind of what we're telling. No, these writers are doing this on purpose because he's trying to get the people of God to understand this is not the kind of story that you think it is. You think this is all about you. And you think Jesus just came to save you. And you think God is just for people like you. But no, this is a story for everyone. This story encompasses everyone because God knows how to throw a great, diverse Christmas party. That's what we see at the first party here. This is what's unfolding. This is what God is doing in this story. I was thinking about this. I love all different kinds of music. I don't know if anyone's like that. So my playlists are really weird. Okay, because I will have a 90s rap song right by an 80s love ballad. 
and then a Pop um, 100 hit from 2017, and then a little bit of Johnny Cash thrown in just for goodness right there, okay? So there's really like no style of music that I don't like. Maybe because I can't sing anything, everything sounds good, you guys. And so sometimes Sarah or my kids, they'll be like, what are you doing? Like, this sounds so confusing. None of this music goes together, but it all sounds good. And I don't know if there's anything spiritual about that, but I thought that is a small picture of what heaven will be like. Because I fully intend to worship God to some jazz music. Followed by some amazing, you know, native people music and all of these different styles. I assume that there'll be all different kinds of dance that there'll be Russian cultural dance and break dancing, and that we'll be celebrating and rejoicing with God, with everyone together. That's the picture that we get, that along with some great tamales, we'll have some great curry and some good Texas barbecue, okay? Like, it'll all be there together. This is the image that we get. Why? Because God knows how to throw a great, diverse Christmas party. That's what we see in this story. That is what's taking place. And it was not what the people of God, the Jewish people, had in their mindset when they started to think about this. And I just want you to hear this. Heaven will not be segregated. It won't be. You will not be just around people that look like you or think like you or have the same size of bank account that you had or any of those things. Heaven is going to be vastly diverse. That's the imagery that we see as they're beginning to tell the story of Jesus. That's what we see right from the start all over the world, all of these different languages. A couple of months ago, Sarah and I were, we saw a movie together and I know all of our movie preferences are different, so I try not to reference too many movies, but um, it was this movie called In the Heights. I don't know if anyone's seen it, and it's this, if I'm understanding it right, it's this culture um, of all of these different Hispanic nations, like South America and Central America, and even some of the Caribbean islands are represented in this tiny, just few block area of New York City. And so you're seeing this, it was really kind of neat from a cultural perspective, all of these different nationalities coming together, and there's this moment in the movie where they're facing like difficulty, and there's extreme kind of situation that's going on right there, and all of these people groups come together, and they start to sing, and they start to dance. And it's really amazing in the movie because you see these slight differences between the Spanish dialects and even the dance styles and the cultural things of all of these different countries. And I sat there and I was smiling. I was like, this is so cool. And then I felt really sad because I thought this should not be the picture of a movie. This should be a picture of the church. That we know how to come together. Even though we don't all look the same, even though we have different cultural experiences, even though we come from different kind of socioeconomic backgrounds, that we know how to come together as the church because we serve a God who knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. And this is my thought, church, is we should not be waiting for some moment in heaven out there. We should be practicing this right now, right here, right where we are at. This should be a picture of the church. And so we have to really examine some things. We have to really think about some things because this is the picture of God that we have. And this is the story that unfolds as Jesus comes, that there is this tremendous diversity. There is a problem. And I want you guys to hear me. If you're younger and you think, well, I can't connect with anyone older than me. We're not doing what we see in the Bible and what we see happening in Scripture. That's not the picture that we get there of, well, you have gray hair and I don't, so we can't really connect. There's a problem there, you guys. 
That's not the image that we get of the church. And so at this first Christmas, you see this vast difference all coming together around this one idea that Jesus has come, that Messiah has come. God has sent his salvation into the world, and God knows how to throw this amazing Christmas party. So in order to join in on this diverse Christmas party, here's what we have to do. We have to examine our hearts. You need to examine your heart. And I'm going to say this, and I realize this is probably not the message that will get a lot of amens. It'll be difficult for some of us to hear. But Jesus was not white. Okay? Jesus was not black. He wasn't African American. He was not Hispanic. And I know some of you, and let's just be honest and acknowledge this. Some of us grew up in a, in a culture, maybe even in church or being around the holidays, and that's how Jesus was pictured, right? This white hippie with this pretty cool beard, and that's what he looked like. And so that's our image that is locked in of Jesus. That's not what he looked like. Others of us, maybe in our church culture or being around family, we saw a portrait of a black Jesus, an African-American Jesus, right? And that's our image. That's what Jesus looked like. That is not what he looked like. I know he was brown, but he was not Hispanic. Sorry to disappoint some of you guys. He was from Middle Eastern descent. That's where he was from. That's the culture. That's the area that he grew up in. And for some of us, we've got to break down some of those barriers that we have in our mind. To understand what God is really doing and what's being told in the story. Because if not, we need to examine our hearts. Why do I need Jesus to look like me? Why does Jesus have to just reflect my culture or my group of people or who I am or the language that I'm from? And we've forgotten these important passages in the Bible like this, Isaiah 56, 7, where God is talking to his people and he's trying to break this mindset when he says, even those I will bring to my holy mountains. He's talking about people from other nations and languages and countries, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. He's reminding his people, you're missing it because you think it's just about you. You think that I'm coming just for you, and my salvation is for everyone in the world. I'm calling everyone back unto myself. I'm reconciling all of my creation to myself. In Psalms 86, 9, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Yahweh. They will bring glory to your name. That's everyone coming and worshiping God. And so it breaks my heart when I heard this phrase, a number of years ago, and just even looking at it again this week, that this moment right here, Sunday morning, overall is the most segregated time of the week in America. Just stop and think about this. Statistics would tell us that 80% of churchgoers in America would go to what's considered a single race, race or a single ethnic group church. That almost everyone in that church looks like them. And that's how they worship. Now, let me just say this, and can we put our hands together? That is not NCC. That's not who we are as a church, and I love that. I love that, that God has brought us together, and we see so much diversity in this room, but that's how so many people live their lives. That's how so many people express worship is, is in that way. Now, this is what I understand. There are moments where language is a barrier. And so there are churches and communities of faith and places of worship where language 
it's difficult for people, and so maybe they gather together because they speak the same language, and not all of them would be able to really um, engage in a service like this because we speak English. So I think there are moments like that, but I don't think that's what's making up the vast majority of that percentage. I think there are a lot of us who have just gotten stuck in this idea that Jesus is for me, and he's for people that look like me. And when that happens, we have to stop and examine our hearts because that's not the image that we see in Scripture. And we have to start to ask some real difficult questions of, God, what is going on here? Lord, what's taking place where we as people don't know how to worship together? Where we don't know how to be a community with people from different cultures or different backgrounds? Where, where I don't know how to talk or engage with someone that may make more money than me or less money than me. So I try to find people that are just like me. That is an issue and that should not exist in the body of Christ. If that's the picture of the church, we're failing, you guys. We're failing because God knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. So we have to examine our hearts. Last night, Sarah and I um, had a chance to go see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen them, but they're a pretty amazing group. They do like these Christmas rock operas, I guess is the best way to describe that. It's kind of how they describe themselves. And they're pretty famous for their rendition of the Carol of the Bells. If you guys have ever heard that and it sounds like a rock ballad, that's them. And so Sarah's company had free tickets, so we had a chance to go see them. And it's this amazing kind of show where someone's there with an electric guitar but there's people on like flute instruments and cellos and wind instruments and all of this stuff and I think we have like this picture of this and it's this crazy late light laser show like light show that's going on and it's really amazing and they tell this really neat story through the music and this guy with this awesome voice gets up and kind of narrates parts of it and so I'm following the storyline and he gets to one part and he starts talking about this about this angel that's observing the Christmas story and he looks around the world and he sees pain and, and the struggles that people are going through. And then you can't really see him, but there's all these TV screens and they start flashing with all of these flags of the world. And so I start to look and think like, oh man, are these guys Christians? Like, this is pretty cool that they're talking about this and don't think that they are. Couldn't find that anywhere on their website. But what I started to think is, yeah, that's the problem is so many of us are just doing this because it's this time of year. And we've got to do some examining of our hearts, you guys. Because if we're doing this because it's the Christmas season and it's just what people do and we have goodwill towards man and so we're a little bit nicer to people that aren't exactly like us, that's a problem. And I want you to hear this. If you're doing this because it's a political thing, that's a problem. If you're doing this because your political party has gotten really heated up about this, on whatever side you land on, that is a problem. That's an issue, you guys. If you're doing this because it's what social people do and it's kind of the social issue of the day and so we've got to highlight this and so we do all of these things of, of being at certain places and wearing shirts that talk about this, that is a problem. We do this for one reason and one reason only. Every individual is marked with the fingerprints of God. And we serve a God who loves every single person in all of creation, no matter who they are. And so we reflect his love. And so church, we have to examine our hearts of why am I doing this? Am I doing it because it's a seasonal thing? Am I doing it because it's really what's highlighted right now? What's going on in my heart, God? 
Or am I doing this because it's who you are, Yahweh? Am I doing this because it's the reflection of you, Jesus, that I see in Scripture? And that's what I'm trying to be like. It's motivated out of love. We have to look at that. Are we reflecting the heart of God? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I've read this verse so many times, and I get stuck on that first part. Like, God, you're so patient. You're so kind, God. You keep forgiving me. Thank you. And this week I was just reflecting on that second part. God, it's everyone. You're opening up this invitation to everyone. You're inviting everyone to come and surrender our lives. And, Lord, experience your love and surrender to your lordship. God, that's what you're inviting us all to do. You're looking for everyone, for heaven to be full with all of the cultures and all of the languages of the world. This is the picture that we see because God knows how to throw a diverse Christmas party. I was thinking about this. We are in this season of our life where our family... um, Some of our kids are engaged now, or I guess one of our kids is engaged. And so Micah, um, his fiance, Zandra, was coming over for Thanksgiving, and it was her first Thanksgiving of being away from her family. So I was really nervous, and I thought, Sarah, here's what we have to do. We have to find out what kind of food she eats at Thanksgiving. And because I was like, I don't want her to just feel like, okay, I'm hanging out with the Escamillas. I want her to feel like this is kind of home for her. And so like, what does she like to eat? So I was really intentional. And I made sure like we talked to her, like, is there anything you do on Thanksgiving that makes it feel like Thanksgiving? Because I want to make sure that we do. So like just thinking through all of that. I did that because we love Zandra already. I think if anything happens, we'll just kick Mike out and we'll keep her or something, you know. Like, because we love her, right? Like, she's special to us. And, and so that's kind of where we're at. It's motivated out of love. And you guys, that should be just the heartbeat of who we are. That should be the core of who we are. Why? Because it's the heartbeat of God. It's who he is. It's in his very nature and at the core of who he is. That's what God is calling us to do is to love Well, and so as we examine our hearts, this is what we need to know is we need to reflect the love of God. I talked about this last week. Jesus came for relationship. That's why he came. He didn't come for political power. He didn't come to wage war on the other armies. That's not why he came. He came for relationship. We were sinful and we had rebelled against God. And he came to restore that broken relationship. And so he gave his life and he invites us. He offers that gift and that invitation that we would come and surrender our lives, submit who we are to him, to know the tremendous love of a God who will do anything to reconcile us to himself. In John chapter 13, verse 35, this is what it says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's talking to followers of Jesus. Can you love one another well? Can you love one another well? Can you be a picture to a world that is broken, to a world that is fractured, to a world that is segregated, to a world where we find endless ways to separate ourselves from each other? Can you love one another well? Why? Because we have a God who knows how to throw a very diverse Christmas party. And he's inviting us into that story. You guys, the power of this is not, oh, this is just something that happened 2,000 years ago. 
It's something God's saying, I want to happen today. This is the picture I want for my church. This is the image that I want for those that are following me, that the church, believers, the community of faith would be an image of what it looks like to love each other well to a world that is so divided and to a world that is so broken that around this time of year that we would be able to do that, follow God's lead, that we would examine our hearts and be honest if there's anything in our lives that isn't lining up with Scripture and that we would reflect the love of God to those around us. Can I tell you, more than any law, more than any person being in Washington, D.C. or some political office, it is the truth and the love of God that's going to change our world. That's what's going to do it, you guys. That is what Christ came to show us is the way to love. It's a beautiful picture of a new humanity. That's what Christ is inviting us into. And so I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe if you take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes and just reflect on your own life. You may be here and maybe you feel disconnected from God. I'm talking about being connected with others and people that are different than us, but maybe you're saying, I don't feel connected to God. Maybe the way that you approach this story was not like I've been talking about today. Maybe you think about it really differently. And I want you to hear that God loves you. You're marked with his fingerprints. You're his creation. He desires to be in relationship with you. That's why he leaves heaven. That's why he comes to this earth. That's why he's born as a baby. That's why he gives his life is so that you could know him, so that you and I could be in a relationship with him, so that we could draw close to him. And if you're here this morning and you're disconnected from God, and maybe that's caused disconnection in your life from even others around you, God wants to rewrite your story. He wants to give you a brand new beginning. And it's very simple. You just have to accept that. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer that just talks about that. And I want to invite everyone in this room to pray this, whether you're saying it for the first time, whether you've said it before, or if you're worshiping with us online, maybe you're even by yourself. Say it out loud because we don't want anyone praying alone. Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've messed up. I pray for your forgiveness. So I invite you in. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate? If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that heaven is rejoicing, that heaven is celebrating for anyone that was disconnected from God and just prayed, Lord, I want that relationship with you. And so we're excited for you. I believe that God is doing something in your life on the inside of you that God is working because he desires to have that relationship with you. And so I mentioned last week, but we're going to kind of close the message of every service with a little bit different than we typically do. I'm not going to ask you to pray, but I just want to speak a blessing over you. And so I said this last week, if you would just hold your hands out kind of symbolically to receive that, this is my prayer, this is my blessing for you, that we would be people who see the world as God sees it. 
My prayer is that you walk into your workplace or maybe you're in the school or you're in the marketplace or out in the community this week that your eyes would be open to the beauty of God's creation, that you would see a God who throws a diverse Christmas party, who loves everyone and who wants to connect us in community, who wants to bring us together. May we be people, may we be the church who is bridging gaps in our community, who is uniting when others are dividing, who are bringing people together when others are separating. May we be the church that God is dreaming of. And may we be a picture of heaven right here on earth right now. That's my prayer for you, church. Be blessed.